You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to BGN Radio. This is a BGN Radio special. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. Well, it's the bye week. The Eagles have made a little bit of news this week, cutting Andrus and Deho, which I think we all thought was a necessary activity for the team to engage in, and uh, also signing Jordan Matthews uh, off the street to help out a beleaguered wide receiving core. Um, what we're going to do here on this episode of the podcast is, now that we are in the bye week, let's give out some grades for this Philadelphia Eagles team at the bye, and that seems like a good time to do it. We're just past the halfway point of the season. Uh, so now's a good time to start issuing out some letter grades for the units as a whole. And we'll also uh, give out some grades for some individual players as well. So uh, before we do that, though, just a reminder to uh, hit the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed on Apple Podcasts with a five-star rating and leave a review while you're there. Um, that goes a long way to helping the podcast grow for sure. And um, make sure you're catching the latest uh, BGN radio uh, that was just out with uh, BLG and Jimmy Kempsky. Kiston Solak also have a show out in... Of course, uh, Babes on Broad will have a show coming out here in the next uh, little while, and uh, Seamus will have his show out uh, in just a couple days as well, too. So lots going on here on the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. And again, uh, don't forget to check out BleedingGreenNation.com as we are going to keep you up to date on everything going on here during the bye week. All right, so let's hand out some grades, and we'll do this in two parts. We'll start with the offense, and we'll start with the guy who's at the center of the offense, Carson Wentz. And I just don't see how you can give Carson a grade any lower than a B with what he's had to work with on the outside this year. Carson Wentz, for this team to be as good as we think they should have been at the start of the season, would have had to be Superman. Well, not even more than Superman. Would have had to be perfect, seeing as how he's gotten absolutely no help from his wide receivers. And no, he hasn't been perfect. Point to me a quarterback that has been perfect this year. You can't do it. I mean, I think he has done as well under the circumstances as you could expect. He, he's completing 62.7% of his passes. He has just 15 touchdowns. I know that's a low number. When you don't have a wide receiver to throw to, your touchdown numbers are going to be down. But he has just four interceptions this year also. 2,060 passing yards, only averaging 228.9 yards per game, but he has a QB rating of 93.7. Again, understanding that this is a passing league, those numbers, while back in the 1980s and 90s would have been superior, are not among the league leaders. But again, context matters. Has he played at an elite level? No. But has he been really solid? Absolutely yes. And would Nick Foles be doing better? I don't think so. And at some point, we have got to move on from thinking about Nick Foles when we talk about Carson Wentz, and maybe that's just never going to happen. I don't know if you guys saw the little one-minute cartoon that Bleacher Report put out this week. They do a, a Bleacher Report cartoon on the NFL every week. This week's was hysterical because it's talking about um, Nick Foles being upset that Gardner Minshew became the popular quarterback in, in Jacksonville and going to Carson Wentz for advice on how to deal with it. 
it's an incredibly hilarious send-up of the mania surrounding Wentz and Foles and also pokes fun at the Eagles receivers who seemingly are going kind of behind Carson's back, it seems, in the media some. Josina Anderson, maybe. We don't know who the leak was. We don't know who was feeding Josina Anderson information, but it would. It, it, there, the speculation is, though, that it, it might be coming from the wide receiver room, of course, and so this cartoon makes fun of it. It's, it is hilarious. And, you know, with regard to Qu- Carson Wentz and his quarterbacks, Max Kellerman said the most insane thing on First Take this week. You've got to listen to this. There is an issue with his relationship with the receiver. That has nothing to do with dropping the ball. Particularly Alshon Jeffrey. So, who suddenly has, like, the hiccups. Like, suddenly, Alshon Jeffrey can't So, Max is the quarterback. Why is that? So, Max is the quarterback. I don't like Max. I don't get along with Max. So, I drop something that hits me right here. I drop a pass that hits me right here. That is dumb. I believe it's affecting things. That's right. I drop a pass that hit me right here. That's right. Because I don't like you. Really? I believe it's affecting things. That's right. Okay. That's right. I mean... And Stephen A. Smith can barely contain himself. I mean, because it is the most... And I don't even think Max Kellerman believed it. I think he started the thought train, and then it quickly derailed, but he realized he was committed to it and just kept going with it. I don't even think his heart was really into that whole nonsense. But I think if you go back and listen to the latest Kisten Solak show, and they talk about what Carson Wentz has been going through in his progressions, they really did a wonderful job clarifying what some of the mistakes Carson Wentz has made over the last couple of weeks, because he is making mistakes to to some degree. He's forcing the balls to some receivers to try and get them out of their funk, and he has to stop doing that. He's been trying to force-feed Aguilar. I think he's been trying to force-feed Alshon Jeffrey in certain situations, and in other situations, he's just ignoring certain guys, like Matt Collins, and Ortega Whiteside isn't even seeing the field at this point. So criticism of Wentz is fair game. He hasn't been perfect. And Carson really can't afford to not be perfect in the eyes of many in this fan base. And for this offense to put up 40 points a game, every throw does have to be perfect. But they are scoring points. And we'll get to some of those reasons why coming up when we get into the running backs and the tight ends a little bit. But unfortunately, that's how high the bar has been set. We came into this season thinking of Carson Wentz MVP candidate. But it's impossible to be an MVP candidate when you have no wide receivers. So we need to get that thought out of our mind as Carson Wentz potentially winning the MVP. It's not going to happen. It's unfair to expect an MVP-level performance out of him. What he's done is enough to win most of his games. Remember, had Nelson Aguilar caught that deep ball against Atlanta, and actually before that, had the defense not allowed the Falcons to retake the lead late in, that, late in the fourth quarter of that game after Carson had driven the team down for the go-ahead score in the fourth quarter. And had Arthega Whiteside made the catch at the goal line against Detroit, Carson Wentz and the Eagles are sitting here at 7-2 and two right now. Carson has had two really bad games. He had a bad game against, well, he actually had a bad first half against the Falcons that he recovered from when they had to throw the game plan out the window entirely. But he did not play well against uh, against Minnesota, and he did not play well against Dallas. Bottom line, he did not play well against those two teams. But Aaron Rodgers had a bad loss against the Chargers last week. It happens. So I think, given the circumstances, a B grade for Carson Wentz is totally fair here in 2019. Let's move on to the running backs. And I give the running back unit a, a B grade as well. I think it's hard to ask for more from Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders and what they've given them. Neither guy is going to go to the Pro Bowl, which is what it would have taken for a B-plus or an A-grade here. Neither is going to get 1,000 yards. But it's clear they've become a very good duo, and they've gotten much better in the screen game as well. 
Uh, Howard and Sanders now both averaging 4.4 yards per carry. Howard's been the most consistent runner, running in between the tackles, really takes what the what the offensive line gives him, and nothing more than that. I mean, they the offensive line opened up a, a hole that was basically from hash to hash last week, and he got 12 yards out of it. He, he found the hole, ran through it. He just couldn't make anybody miss once he got to the second level. Uh, but he does get positive yards on every play. He's good at moving the chains, and Sanders is the big play guy. And after bouncing it outside week after week after week in the first month and a half of the season, he's now starting to run within the flow of the run, uh, of the play concept. And it's not every time. Uh, he, he's not he's not knocking it out of the park. He's still got a lot of room to grow in those areas. But what you want to see from a, a second round rookie is improvement in these kinds of areas. And um, to have 300 rushing and receiving yards uh, this early in his career, not many other running backs have ever done that. So both in the running and passing game, Sanders is getting better. And think about Miles Sanders' cont- contribution in the passing game. Where would this passing offense be without what Miles Sanders brings to them? Imagine if they hadn't gone and gotten Miles Sanders in the second round. What do they do? as far as a pass-catching option out of the backfield. This is a big part of the offense. A big part of the offense. He has generated more of their of their long plays than anyone else on the roster this year. As, as your, your rookie second-round pick, he's been invaluable as your pass-catching op- option out of the backfield. He's, he's been one of the main reasons the wide receivers have not destroyed this team, why this team is not 3-6 three and, three and six as they're sitting here at, during the bye week. So, I mean, th- this is a big deal, the fact that, that Miles Sanders is doing what he's doing. And I think we're kind of glossing over it because we we look at him and the improvement he needs to make as as a runner. But what he has given this passing offense has been, has been critical to the team's success. So I'll give Howard a solid B for his performance. And I'm going to give Sanders uh, uh, Howard a B and Sanders a B as well. And I think Sanders uh, is really trending upward and um, moving in the right direction there. I mean, I, I, again... Just uh, his his contributions and as a receiver um, ha- have mitigated some of the frustration we've seen from him running the football. And in concert with the running backs, the offensive line I think also has had a very solid season. I'm giving the offensive line a B plus. They got off to a little bit of a slow start earlier this year, but they have really come on of late. Their game against a great Bears defense last week was their best performance of the season. Although the Green Bay game came close, but the Bears defense is much better than Green Bay's. I think Andre Dillard, as a first-round rookie, has come in and held his own. He hasn't been awesome. He has not been a wall over there at left tackle. But he did well against Khalil Mack against the Bears last week, and he looks to be a first-round pick that Howie Roseman got right. I, I think that as he improves, he's got to do better against bull rushes, but he's getting better week after week. And again, like I said with Miles Sanders, that's what you're looking for in a rookie. Let's talk about Brandon Brooks for a moment. He is the best offensive lineman in the NFL right now. I know he doesn't play tackle. He doesn't play center. He doesn't play one of the glory positions. He's a guard. But he's playing better than any offensive lineman in football right now. He's going to win comeback player of the year. And as Jason Kelsey said, if he stays in that playoff game against the New Orleans last year that he left with an Achilles injury, they probably beat the Saints. They never recovered from losing him in that game last year. They put up 14 quick points and then didn't score again after he left the game. His 96.6 PFF grade against the Bears on Sunday was the highest for an offensive lineman, not this year, not over the last two years, but since 2015. He's the only offensive lineman with an overall grade over 90 this season with a minimum of 200 snaps. He doesn't get the glory because he wasn't a first or second round pick. 
He doesn't play tackle or center. So nobody notices Brandon Brooks. Well, now they're starting to notice him. And people need to understand that what he's doing after suffering an Achilles injury at the point at which he did last year in the divisional round of the playoffs, the fact that he didn't miss a single game this year, I think it is as impressive as Adrian Peterson's legendary return from his ACL surgery a few years ago. People are not talking about Brandon Brooks' recovery in that vein, and they need to. They need to. The Philadelphia Inquirer noted that he's played 618 offensive snaps this year and has committed one penalty. One penalty without allowing a sack all season, and he didn't even allow a pass pressure on Sunday. So we need to start talking about Brandon Brooks in in the way in which he's playing, which is the best offensive lineman in football. I think we need to start going there. Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson continue to play at a high level. But uh, despite Lane's bad game against the Cowboys, I think they've both been very solid. So I think they both they both get B's for me. Isaac Samalo has been very up and down. He's had a, a C, C minus season, I think. Maybe that's even a little bit generous, but I'll go C minus on Isaac Samalo. Um, but I guess you'll take that from from one of your offensive linemen when you've got an A guy in Brandon Brooks and you've got in, in Andre Dillard. I think you'd have to give him given his experience, like a B-minus, something like that. I I think the offensive line overall has been a very good strength to this team, and it appears that it's getting better as they go to more 12 personnel with Deshaun Jackson out there. It just seems like that's where this offense needs to eat. So now let's talk about wide receiver before we get to the break, and I don't know what's stopping me from giving this crew a failing grade, but I'm going to go D-plus on the uh, D-minus on the wide receivers. It's as close as I can get to failing without actually giving them a fail grade, and I don't know what's what's keeping me from giving them a failing grade. Maybe they do deserve an F. Maybe I'm being generous. Maybe I'm, I, I don't know. But I'm going D minus. The team added Jordan Matthews this week, and, and he's not the answer, gang. Don't expect him to be the answer, but he should help. Um, Deshaun's injury is crippling. There's no way around it. I mean, there's been enough conversation about what the Eagles did wrong, what Deshaun Jackson did wrong. I'm not going to go over all that again because we need to move the story forward. I'll just say that the Eagles erred in two ways. They erred in not having a, in basically, with a, they erred in going forward with a strategy of hope as a tactic. They, they hoped that Deshaun Jackson was going to come back, which is why they didn't make a big move at the trade deadline. But obviously that blew up in their faces, and they, they erred in the messaging by continuing to say that, it was a couple weeks, a few weeks here, with, with Doug Peterson's answers being all over the place. That was that confused fans. Fans had no clarity as to what's going on. And I will say, too, that, you know, this is an injury that's hard to diagnose. It, 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 it hits every player differently. I can totally understand Deshaun Jackson waiting to get the surgery, why they chose to do so. We don't know the internal conversations that were being had there. But, um, again, that's kind of going over everything else. Moving forward, bringing in Jordan Matthews will help. The Eagles should not stop there. They need to bring in J.J. Nelson for a look. J.J. Nelson is not a guy who's been on the street for two years. He was with the Raiders at the start of the season. He played well for the Raiders at the start of the season, but got banged up and missed a couple of games early, and then John Gruden just cut him. It's not exactly a black mark against you to be cut by John Gruden, because John Gruden is stupid. He doesn't do things that are smart. He does things that hurt his teams. And so I don't understand why J.J. Nelson hasn't gotten a call to come to the Novacare Complex and at least work out because he is a speed guy. He's a legitimate speed guy. He has shown speed in the past in this league. Maybe he's not good. Maybe he's not a fit for this scheme. But how do you know until you bring him in? Has there really been enough tape on him this year for teams, for the Eagles to say for sure that he wouldn't be helpful? 
I truly don't understand why teams cross guys off their list without actually looking at them themselves. So the Eagles at least know that they need help at wide receiver because this has this has really it really has been a failing unit. I mean, Ruben Frank noted this. Uh, Eagles wide receivers do not have a touchdown reception longer than six yards in the team's last six games. I mean, think about that. No wide receiver has a touchdown longer than six yards in the team's last six games. And Brandon Lee Gowton has been tweeting out horrible stats about the wide receivers for the last few weeks. Go to his timeline and check it out at Brandon Gowton. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's hard to imagine how the Eagles can play winning football and score points with wide receivers playing like this. Alshon Jeffrey's performance has been at a D level this season. He was responsible for three drive-ending drops on Sunday. Remember, he had that one play against Minnesota where he should have scored a touchdown down the right sideline and inexplicably just fell over sideways into the into the sideline. I did haul a big catch in the in the final drive of the game on Sunday, and that's great. Hey, hey, your number one receiver made a tough catch. Like, you know, nobody's throwing a party for that. It's what he's supposed to do. He's the number one receiver. And this team has spent more money, as BLG has talked about over and over again, they've poured more money into this position and gotten a criminally small amount of production because of it. Aguilar and Hollins have been invisible. Wentz keeps forcing the ball to Aguilar to try to get it to him, but the Eagles need to get Nelson in here for no other reason than to just get Aguilar off the, or Hollins off the field. Jeffrey's currently on pace for 628 receiving yards this season. Aguilar on pace for 501. Clearly, you know, they see something in Arthega Whiteside that scares the pants off him. I mean, maybe he just doesn't know the playbook. Could it be something that simple? He just he can't figure out the plays? Now, is there hope that the bye week can fix something? I mean, maybe Alshon is banged up and, and needs a week. I mean, maybe the team needs a, a bye week to kind of reevaluate itself and change some things, get healthier, be more effective, and maybe they come out and they're they're a different offensive unit. Maybe Alshon gets his burst back after the after the bye week. You know, maybe a week away helps Aguilar, or maybe they add. You know, maybe the addition of Matthews allows the Eagles to put Aguilar in the slot one more time and. Maybe that's a better use of his skills. Maybe the bye week allows the Eagles to figure out a way to use Ortega Whiteside more effectively. But it's clear this wide receiving core is the weakness is the big weak point of this team. It's probably what's keeping them from being a true Super Bowl contender. The defense, obviously, we're going to get to a minute. They have some issues, too. But offensively, it's what's keeping this team from being a Super Bowl contender. And real quick, the tight ends. I have the tight ends at a B-. minus. Um, Zach Ertz has had a down year, invisible for much of the season until last week when he finally had a big game. Um, but I think uh, Ertz has basically been at a kind of a, a B-minus level this year. Um, he's still averaging 58 yards a game, which is seventh most among NFL tight ends. Goddard is at 27 yards a game, which is 25th. They're also doing a good job in the running game as blockers. They're going to be even more important moving forward. And I think you're going to see Ertz and Goddard used more in the screen game, especially Goddard. That play in the final drive of the fourth quarter on Sunday was really, really cool. Um, and they both, both those guys, especially Goddard has, has an ability to kind of break some tackles after the catch. So the Eagles, if they could just get a little bit more production at receiver, this is a Super Bowl caliber offense. That's how much Deshaun Jackson's absence means to this team. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, let's give our grades out for the defense and the coaching staff. We'll do that next right here on BGN radio. And we're back on BGN Radio. All right, we're giving out some grades now for the defense, and let's go to the defensive line. I have the defensive line at a C- here so far this year. The Eagles' defense has 24 sacks on the season, which is tied with the Saints for 10th most. Of course, 10 of those sacks came against the woeful Luke Falk and the Jets, so that would be 14 sacks in the team's other eight games. One of those numbers was unsustainably high. The other is unsustainably low. So I guess you could say that 24 sacks on the season when you, when you balance it all out, is probably about right. Brandon Graham has come on of late, which is good to see. A team leading six sacks. 
Is this the final year he breaks through and hits double digits? I think he's had a B-minus season so far. Derek Barnett has not been an impact edge rusher. He's not been an impact DE2. And I don't think he has played at the level of a first-round pick. But he does have three and a half sacks, which is second most on the team, and his 13 quarterback hits is second on the team. I like to call those Mamulas because Mike Mamula always used to get close and never used to actually get the sack, but he'd get the pressures and the, and the QB sack. I think Derek Barnett has a C, a C grade this year. Been okay, nothing special. And they really could have used him turning into a special player, and that's, that's not what they've gotten. Fletcher Cox finally looks like he's coming on, but still just two and a half sacks for him this year. Just four QB hits. Hopefully the bye week does him wonders too, but I have him at a C-. minus. I think you have to grade him a little bit more harshly when you consider how important and talented he is. Josh Sweat has looked okay at times. Two sacks for him. Vinny Curry has largely been non-existent. Both, I think, are C-, minus, D-plus players this year. Uh, the injuries to Timmy Jernigan and Malik Jackson obviously hurt the team at defensive tackle. Hassan Ridgeway getting hurt also sucks. It's really hard to tell if the recent resurgence by the defensive line is due to the fact the Eagles have played some really bad quarterbacks of late. Maybe Brandon Graham is starting to come on. Maybe Fletcher Cox is starting to get it together. Maybe they'll get some more production from Derek Barnett on the outside. But right now, I think the D-line has played at about a C-minus level, and they'll have a big test coming up against the Patriots and the Seahawks. Linebackers, again, largely an unimportant, but... You know, you can't totally throw the linebacker position away on the Eagles. It's the least important of the four different positions on the team. But I have the linebackers at a D. I mean, what have the linebackers done this year? They had to cut Zach Brown and LJ Ford, who were both expected to be productive members of the linebacking core. Both turned out to be terrible signings. Nate Gary continues to play more snaps than any other linebacker, despite being less talented than Kamu Grugier-Hill and TJ Edwards. I'm, st- I'm just not sure what they're doing. I guess they figure Gary is the best in, in pass coverage, but I don't know. I think Kamu is better than him there, and, and TJ Edwards, even as a, an undrafted free agent, has played better than Nate Gary. Thankfully, they usually only play two of these guys at a time, but nobody here plays at an elite level. Are they actively hurting the team? In some cases, they are. Uh, we've seen Nate Gary bite on play action repeatedly over and over again this season. That's left the Eagles vulnerable to play-action teams like Minnesota. It's, it's really hurt them in a couple of spots. So, so I mean, the linebackers are just never going to be a strength of this team, but I think they've even been a little bit worse than in recent seasons. The team's really missing Jordan Hicks, who's playing pretty well uh, elsewhere. The safety position I have at a C. They've been fine in the run game, but breakdowns in the secondary have killed the Eagles in the passing game. The Minnesota game was especially egregious. Malcolm Jenkins had at least one big breakdown in that game. And they both kind of struggled in the passing game. But much of that is due to the concepts that Jim Schwartz likes to run. Hard to know exactly how much of, of how much blame the, the, the safeties should get. Are they over-focused on stopping the run and, and you know, not, not producing as well in the passing game like they should be? Again, kind of hard to suss out, but it sounds like a, a mixture of both. Malcolm's still on the final year of his deal, by the way. Jenkins never did get that contract. He hasn't played at a Pro Bowl level. And maybe we're seeing that that was a smart move by the Eagles to, to hold off. Um, although I think a couple of breakdowns aside, Malcolm has been fine. Same with McLeod. I can't say either guy has killed them, but they're not forcing turnovers and they're not getting interceptions and fumbles. And, you know, I, overall, the team has stopped holding offenses to field goals in the red zone. But perhaps that's more of an issue having to do with the cornerbacks. And I have the cornerbacks through through the first nine weeks of the season as a D plus. Now, hopefully things are getting back on track with Darby and Mills starting. 
The Eagles are 10-5 and five over the last few years when Darby and Mills are both in the starting lineup, and Avante Maddox now is the slot corner. That's a very solid trio, you would think, and they've played pretty well the last couple of weeks. But again, you ask the question, is that because of the level of competition or because the Eagles are simply better with those guys in the lineup? The team as a whole has eight interceptions this year, which is tied for sixth most in the NFL. They're fifth in passes defended, but they've also gotten burned by a ton of splash plays this year, more than any other team in the NFL. Jalen Mills has only played a couple of games, but so far I think he's probably been a B-, minus. Which since he's got back, he's made some plays on the ball. I think he's definitely been better than Rasul Douglas out there. Darby has been better since he returned, too. He was terrible to start the season, and he's still, he's as, as Ben Solak noted on Twitter, he is brutal on those inverted cover twos where he's got to cover the, a deep half of the field. He's continuing to get sucked in by, by shallow patterns and leaving the other cornerback on the other side exposed to long pass plays. The, the Bears burned him deep for a 50-yard play to Tyler Gabriel last week. It just can't happen. They need to figure out a way to, to not make that Darby's responsibility. I think overall Darby has played at a C-level. Maddox, I think, too, has been about a C-level player. Although, but now that everyone's in their proper place, I think this is the area of the team where we're going to see the most improvement. You hope, anyway. Again, a big test coming up against the Patriots and a big test coming up against the Seattle Seahawks for this unit. And then later in the season, a big test against the Dallas Cowboys. There's a lot of also-rans in the mix afterwards against the uh, after they're done playing the Patriots and the Seahawks. With the exception of the Cowboys, they get the Dolphins and the Giants and Washington. So not a lot of teams you have to be too afraid of there. Sidney Jones is obviously the black eye of this unit. I think he has had an F season. I mean, Aguilar and uh, and Sidney Jones are the two F players, and Matt Collins are the three F players this season for this team. Those are the only three I have a failing grade to, especially when you consider he's a former second-round pick. How is a former second-round pick from three years ago a healthy scratch? That's a huge miss in the draft. And I wonder, what is the cornerback's coach? Is he... Is the cornerbacks coach doing enough to teach up Sidney Jones, or is this just Sidney Jones not playing well? Same thing with the wide receivers coach. Is the wide receivers coach not training up Mac Hollins and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, or is, are they just bad players? You know, it's funny coming into the season that, I mean, early in the season, that at one point we thought cornerback was the most pressing need at the trade deadline, but now it feels like things have stabilized a little bit. So I think by the end of the year, this is the grade that will probably improve the most over the second half. So let's finish things up with the coaching staff. Look, the team's 5-4. and four. They're, they're in the playoff picture, although if the season ended today, they would not be in the playoffs, but they still control their own destiny. They're over 500. they They've managed to stem the tide of a ton of injuries. They, Doug Peterson had to get, the, get that locker room back together after the, Minnesota, after the Dallas loss and, and, and got the team to win two straight games in Buffalo against a good Buffalo defense and at home against Chicago against a good Chicago defense. The Eagles won these last two games. They weren't great competition offensive, you know, the teams they were playing offensively, but they played two really good defenses these last two weeks and managed to win. And it's hard to craft a game plan without wide receivers. But I do wonder if Mike Groh is doing enough as the play designer with the, with the scripted plays at the beginning of the game. I mean, we know that was Frank Reich's job when he was here. The team has struggled with slow starts over the last couple of seasons. They've been better the last couple of weeks. Hopefully that catches on and, and continues forward. So when the locker room was falling apart, Doug did a good job keeping it together. The team bounced back after falling to 3-4 and four and are now 5-4 and four on the season. 
I question Jim Schwartz's schemes and rationale for doing what he does, but now maybe having all of his cornerbacks in place, maybe things start to come together a little bit defensively, and the the big plays that they've been giving up hopefully dry up. I'm saying hopefully a lot here because I'm hopeful that the bye week is going to fix some ills and getting some players back from injury will help. Of course, not having Deshaun Jackson the rest of the season is going to really hurt. That's why I am calling on the Eagles to bring J.J. Nelson in for a tryout, in for a look, see how he looks, get some speed in on this team, make your jobs easier. It's going to make your job easier to get another speed guy in here, even if it takes a week or two to integrate him. It's not like integrating a, a Golden Tate, who already did all of the things you had players on the roster doing last year. You didn't need another slot receiver last year when you brought Golden Tate in. You do need a speed guy. You don't have that. You can integrate J.J. Nelson if there's something there, and I just don't see how you can tell whether or not he's got the juice for you unless you bring him in. So I give the coaching a C. I think it's been a C season. I think that's about right for a team that's about 500, that has underperformed, has had to deal with some injury issues, has had to deal with some locker room issues, and has the team on a two-game winning streak as they go into the bye week, of course. No one feels good about the Eagles right now with the Deshaun Jackson injury situation going on, but the Eagles coaching staff has a big job in front of them. Doug Peterson's one of the best head coaches in the NFL. I think you have to trust that he's going to get this team to 9 or 10 wins this year, and then it's really, I think, all a matter of do they beat Dallas at home in Week 16. That is where this season is heading, and really the second half of the season is going to depend on this team being able to get over the hump and beat the damn Dallas Cowboys. So that'll do it for this edition of BGN Radio. Again, your special bi-week grading session. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BGN underscore radio. Check out BleedingGreenNation.com every day for all the latest Eagles news. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. And once again, please leave those five-star ratings and reviews at Apple Podcasts. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I'll talk to you next time here on BGN Radio. Yeah.